morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Fenner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed epiphany season this Thursday, February the 10th, as the light of Jesus shines on us from Matthew chapter 15. Jesus was in a Gentile area confronted with a Canaanite woman who believed. It was quite it was it was a great text to study yesterday and showing us that God's grace in Christ is for the nations. This brings us back to Matthew chapter two, where they're looking for the king, and we slowly are peeling back like an onion to see what kind of king this guy is. Reminded that his gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation are so abundant that it overflows from the table to the world, and it flows to you. As we've gone through um, Matthew so far, we've heard this great theme over and over and over again. Christ's reign has come, Christ's reign is here, and Christ's reign is coming. We'll hear this all again today, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word, we welcome back our regular guest, Pastor Tom Eckstein of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. Pastor Eckstein, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Great to be back. Yeah, Pastor, tell us what's going on for you, your family, the saints at Concordia, and of course, it seems to be a common theme, how's the weather in North Dakota? Yeah, yeah. yeah well, we're right smack dab in the middle of winter. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we, we were, uh, well, as you know, we got kind of a, a very gentle start. I mean, it was actually quite nice up until uh, the December, uh, but then uh, the Lord reminded us we do live in North Dakota, and... Uh, <laughs> And so uh, we, we've gotten plenty of snow, and uh, but uh, you know we're we're into February now, so that so, so there's some light uh, at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully, hopefully by May all this snow will be melted because uh, we have, we have a huge, huge pile of snow at the end of our street. So it's like, oh boy, that's going to take till May to get to go away. But uh, but we're doing well otherwise. So. In our in our home, when our kids were little, we you know have those huge piles absolutely everywhere in Minnesota. And when I served in Wisconsin, and we would always call it Mount Ararat. You know, it's right. so big that even the ark could be on top of that sucker. So we get it. We totally understand. Pastor, how about your family and and uh, the people at Concordia? Yeah, things are going well, uh, both uh, locally here in our church uh, and uh, families doing well. In fact, my. My son and his wife and our two grandchildren are going to visit the end of March. We're looking forward to that. And uh, and our, our our little grandchildren, you know, they live in Georgia with uh, mm-hmm. my son and his wife, and so they've never actually seen snow this uh, of this amount. <laughs> and uh, so, right. and, and I can't wait to introduce them to this, you know, Mount Ararat right, right next to our house here. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure they're going to have fun with that. So. Absolutely. Well, this is great, Pastor. It's it's great to have you back on. So as we are looking at the Word of God, receiving His gifts this morning, can you begin our time in prayer? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and we thank you so much that even though you're not obligated to save anyone, uh, you choose to have mercy on all. Uh, today, we, we learn about the feeding of the 4,000. Uh, 
we, we not only see that this is a miracle, uh, uh, one of many miracles that prove that, that your son indeed is, is God in human flesh, uh, but also we see that, that uh, in addition to being concerned about our physical needs, uh, we, we learn that this is also symbolic of how you want all to be saved uh, and come to the knowledge of the truth. Um, help us to uh, learn from this uh, in our day that not only do you care about our physical needs and will provide as you see best, but help us to remember that, that you want all to be saved and, and help us to continue that mission in our day by sharing your truth with all that you bring um, into our presence. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions concerning our study this morning on Matthew chapter 15, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or call us this morning, 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. Now, Pastor, I've been doing this recently since we're going slowly through Matthew. It's going to go all the way till the week after Easter. And so I've been trying to, I guess you say, wet our palate for the whole reading and then coming back and receiving your introductory thoughts. So we are starting Matthew chapter 15, beginning to verse 29, going through the rest of the chapter to 39. And reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version and Matthew chapter 15. And it reads, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men, beside women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went into the region of Magadan. This is our text this morning. Pastor, uh, how do you want to start us off so we, well, start off on the right foot? Well, uh, first of all, uh, you know, there's a little debate uh, about, you know, uh, 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 is Jesus predominantly dealing with Gentiles here? And um, even though there's not a, a, you know, a a sledgehammer, yes, I'm dealing with Gentiles here in the text, um, there's a lot of strong hints. Uh, uh, Not only are we just coming off the heels of this story about the Canaanite woman, uh, you know, where Jesus shows that that even though he's not obligated to help anybody, he chooses uh, to to heal uh, not just Jews, but Gentiles. Uh, In fact, you know, in in other places of the gospel, Jesus is rejoicing over the fact that 
that, you know, even though the Jewish people are clueless about who he is, uh, there's some Gentiles who have insight into this. And, um, and of course, we, we get this all the way uh, earlier in Matthew's Gospel with, with, with the Magi. And so when we start out today's text in verse 29, um, uh, there are those who believe that, that Jesus is now in, in Gentile territory, and the crowds, if not completely Gentile, are at least predominantly Gentile. And, and, and some believe that uh, uh, one hint to that is at the end of verse 31, where it says, and they glorified the God of Israel. And it's almost like, well, why would Matthew even need to mention that if these were predominantly Jews? You know, it's almost as though, okay, uh, here's Here's an example of of people who realize they're Gentiles. They're they're not technically part of the people of God, but they recognize that the Savior of all is coming from Israel, and 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 so uh, uh, th- that will help us to understand as we get into the feeding of the four thousand uh, that that this is Jesus' way of showing us that that. That, uh, yes, even though none of us technically deserve God's mercy, um, uh, he chooses to have mercy on all. I do remember when I was serving on my vicarage in Kansas, that this goes right with what you were talking about, is, is one of our studies was looking at the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. And one of the pastors just spoke about how Martin um, uh, Charlemagne, uh, from the the St. Louis Seminary had mentioned exactly what you said that the five thousand was more for the for the Israelites, the Jewish, and this was more for the Gentiles. Like you said, it's not explicit, but it definitely follows that theme throughout this book that that Christ is for the nations and goes along with the Great Commission at the end, starting with the Magi all the way um, to the nations as we hear at the end of the book. So definitely it, it shows us that compassion. And I think it relates to, if, if this is right, basically everybody who had any kind of illness, Jesus healed right before the feeding of the 4,000, which just that alone shows you that it's not out of reach to say that he would have done this in a Gentile, um, among Gentiles for sure. So anything else you want to highlight before we begin? Well, uh, one other thing, uh, even though this isn't uh, uh, a, a theme that, that the text itself uh, stresses explicitly, um, you know, here we see that, that God, uh, e- even though our primary need is for forgiveness and reconciliation with God uh, uh, and having our sins atoned for, we, we get this already earlier in Matthew's Gospel, where, where when the angel says to Joseph, you know, name this child Jesus, uh, because he will save his people from their sins. You know, our, our greatest need is, is deliverance from our rebellion against God. Uh, but having said that, though, here we see that Jesus realizes that we are physical beings, uh, who have physical needs. I, I think of what Jesus says uh, in the sh- Sermon on the Mount, you know, you know, don't worry about food or clothing. Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. And, mm-hmm. and, and here we see that, that uh, even though Jesus is uh, ultimately concerned about our, our spiritual state, that we recognize Him as our Lord and Savior who will give His life as a ransom for many, He still is also concerned about our physical needs. And um, and 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 he has compassion on us. Now, granted, it's important to remember that Jesus doesn't always heal and always do miracles. Uh, in fact, when when people uh, look to Jesus for only physical, uh, you know, healing and provision, 
uh, Jesus gets a little ticked about that. I, I just on a quick side note, I think of John's Gospel in John six, where where Jesus uh, deals with the feeding of the five thousand, and then uh, he leaves to go on and preach other places, and these crowds follow him, but all they want is more food. You know, they don't they don't they don't want more teaching about <laughs> true. you know who That's Jesus true. is and, and and forgiveness. And it's like okay, I, I'm not going to give you guys any more food. I'm going to tell you about the real bread from heaven. Um, so so there's there's that other you know extreme that we can go that okay, all, all I care about is that God fills my stomach, and who cares about this forgiveness thing? But but here we see that God does is concerned about our physical needs as well, and then of course by performing these miracles. Uh, uh, whether it's healing or, or the uh, miraculous multiplication of fish and bread, Jesus is also showing us that, that he is God in human flesh, who is not only concerned about our physical needs, you know, give us this day our daily bread, but as God has come to give us our true need, the forgiveness of sin. Well, let's dig in because there, I mean, that alone shows us there's a lot to unpack that, the, and I like how you really have had this common theme through it all of this compassion for us in body and soul. Um, it's something that we say quite often in our worship service. We connect to the Lord's Supper. I mean, the connections can be everywhere here today, Pastor. So let's start to dig in. Remind Once again, we are beginning in verse 29. Jesus went on from there. And walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He went up on the mountain and sat down there. I want to stop there, Pastor, just because this sounds kind of familiar from other times in Matthew. Any thoughts on on Jesus and and him and a mountain? Any thoughts? Well, of course, you know, right away, this reminds us of the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, you know, uh, Jesus is on a mountain, and and there, there's some symbolism there too. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, we we think of of the Old Testament and 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 God appearing to Moses and the people in Mount Sinai, and 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 just a reminder that that uh, you know uh, 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 the, there's a connection between Jesus and, and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, one little thing I wanted to mention, though, is that uh, just on a quick side note, you know, we have. There's often, you know, skeptics make a big deal about the fact that, you know, the, the Bible is not consistent. And, and, you know, Luke talks about the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, but, but what we forget about is that, that, that Luke was simply pointing out that the people were, were, were sitting on, you know, a, a flat piece of land, um, which is the case here, too. Just because they're up on a mountainous area, uh, it doesn't mean... Uh, that they weren't sitting on uh, a horizontal piece of ground. Uh, obviously, they're not sitting on the side of a mountain for crying out loud. <laughs> so right. there's really no con- uh, no connection, no no contradiction between Matthew and Luke. Um, so very likely they're up in a mountainous area, uh, but but they're on uh, you know part of a mountain slope that is flat. So Jesus sits down and he begins to teach the crowds there. But but uh, again, we can't help but think of oh boy, the, the sermon on the mount. Uh, Jesus was teaching the people there, uh, and he continues to do so here. And what's interesting is I'll read the rest of our verses here. Is that he doesn't sit down and just start teaching. And say, hey, listen up, that he does, as we talk about the compassion that he shows to people, extends beyond the teaching, which is a compassion that we receive from from people, from the Lord, but also that he has compassion and body here as well. So verses 30 and 31. And the great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. 
so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now, what struck me in this one, Pastor, I want to hear your thoughts, is basically Matthew goes through the whole list of, of issues that are out there. So it's like a full comprehensive list of, of what possibly could be healed, Jesus does. And then it extends out to people noticing it and an event, like I say, an evangelistic piece, piece of this that, like you said, is for the nations and it would have been Jew or Gentile, definitely Gentile saying the God of Israel. So there's really that connection of mercy uh, that the Lord gives and in extending to other people, which obviously for our lives as well, there's a there's a relatability to that as well. So any any thoughts as as you hear these words? Well, yeah, you know, and, and again, especially if these are predominantly Gentiles and, and they're glorifying the God of Israel, you know, we don't know how much they knew uh, about the Old Testament, but, you know, we go back earlier to the Canaanite woman, and apparently she knew enough of the Old Testament that to know that even in the Old Testament, uh, God showed compassion and mercy to the Gentiles. In fact, uh, all the way back in Genesis 12, you know, God tells Abraham, your seed will be a blessing to all nations. Of course, the seed referring to Jesus. And so uh, not only are they, they thanking uh, 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 the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob for doing these miracles, but if they knew their Old Testament, they also would have known uh, that that the promised Savior would, would give signs that he is indeed that Savior by performing miracles. So in other words, it, it, it not only are they possibly excited about, the, uh, not only are they obviously excited about the fact that uh, Jesus is, is healing uh, the sick and the crippled and so on, but if they're realizing, hey, wait a minute, uh, the Old Testament says that the, the promised Savior uh, of all nations is going to do stuff like this. Uh, if this is the guy, then we can expect even greater things than these miracles. you know. And so that might mm. be part of it here. And then I can't help but think, and this is so subtle, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now, yeah. th- th- does that mean that uh, merely that they recognize that Jesus uh, was uh, the Messiah that uh, the God of Israel said he would send? Or do some of them actually have the insight that Jesus himself is the God of Israel in the flesh? You know, uh, were they actually worshiping him? Now, uh, you know, the Magi seem to recognize <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. that, that, that Jesus indeed was, was God in human flesh. And, and, and so, you know, I can't help but wonder, uh, when it says here, and they glorified the God of Israel, did God give these Gentiles the insight to realize that not only was Jesus the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah, but that he was the God of Israel himself in human flesh that they would now need to worship? I thought that was that's an interesting thing to ponder. Well, and we talked about this yesterday. Pastor Shank um, was on the program, and he 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 spoke a, a lot about what you just said that Jesus reduced to Jesus is Israel reduced to one. Just that reminder that he is uh, the Israel that they were looking for. The Israelites follow Israel, which is Christ Himself. So yeah, there's there's definitely a clarity, and we see this throughout the the gospel, a clarity for those who are maybe outside of what would be considered the religious leaders. Here, here is, uh, well, first of all, unfortunately, the devil seems to know who Jesus is better than anybody else. Um, it right. doesn't mean we follow the devil, but he definitely is very clear. But also the centurion is very clear. 
uh, the Canaanite woman is very clear, son of David, she's seeking. And here, once again, the clarity, as we would be led to believe that these were Gentiles, very clear confession that we don't really hear from the disciples until, well, Matthew 16, or maybe in the boat when Jesus uh, took Peter out of the water. We do hear a clear confession there, but a real confident, clear confession in Matthew 16. So already we're seeing the Holy Spirit working among the nations to know who Jesus is. Any other thoughts? Um, not really. I think we can go on. I think uh, we're right. uh, going to joke that. Well, sounds good. Well, we are in verse 32, and now it gets to this story that we, I mean, we have many, many connections that we'll have in Matthew 14. And, you know, what's interesting, too, is the feeding of the 4,000, if you were to ask a typical confirmation student about the feeding of the 4,000, they might interrupt you and go, Pastor, Pastor, it's actually 5,000. And you're like, oh, okay. You know, so many times this is the forgotten feeding. So verse 32. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Now, Pastor, here, Jesus kind of takes the initiative. I mean, the disciples haven't said anything like, hey, get rid of these people. He right away directs them and 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 takes the initiative to say what's going on, I guess you'd say, in his heart, if I can say, or his gut even better. What are your first thoughts on, on that verse? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's one of the differences between the feeding of the 5,000, uh, which has happened prior to this, and then the feeding of the 4,000. But with the feeding of the 5,000, as you know, it, it, it's the disciples who come to Jesus and say, hey, you know, uh, uh, these people, um, you know, uh, need to, uh, to leave because uh, they're going to need to go and buy food. And uh, uh, so they're the ones who, who recognize the need initially. Uh, and, but now here it's Jesus who says, hey, you know, um, uh, these people are hungry and I'm not willing to send them away uh, that way. Uh, and that's all he says, though. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to send them away hungry. And then kind of just leaves it there. <laughs> and, and then, of course, th- then you have the disciples saying, well, uh, where are we going to get enough bread in such a place to feed so great a crowd? Now, what's interesting is that, you know, I, I have, some, uh, you know, quite a few commentaries, and, and a couple of them are written by more liberal scholars. And uh, 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 to a T, these liberal scholars say, well, Here's a good example of what a, a doublet. Um, uh, there wasn't actually two feedings. Uh, this was just a, a, a separate story um, that 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 was talking about the same event as the feeding of the five thousand. And then whoever wrote Matthew, because of course many of these liberals don't believe Matthew actually wrote Matthew. They'll say, well, whoever wrote Matthew, they just incorporated this other story into here and put it in this place. Well, my first response to that is, you know, we have a higher view of Scripture than that. God's Word is it is inspired and inerrant Word, and it, and it, and it gives us uh, true history. It doesn't have errors in it. And secondly, uh, even if Matthew or some other person were, were an editor that were putting these stories together, you know, wouldn't he be smart enough to realize, oh, wait a minute, uh, boy, these, these stories sound an awful lot alike. <laughs> do, I, do I really need to put them in such an immediate context here? And and um, so, yeah, uh, uh, for uh, for uh, uh, for various reasons, we 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 believe that this really happened. And 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 uh, even though Luke and John don't mention this uh, particular uh, second feeding of the four thousand, you know, Matthew and Mark do. Um, but what leads some of these skeptics? 
to to at least think that this is just a a, a version of the same story that's been duplicated is the fact that the disciples say, uh, well, where are you going to get enough uh, bread to feed these people? And they're thinking, well, uh, uh, gosh, uh, didn't they just (laughs) see what happened with the feeding of the 5,000? Do you really have to ask this question? And my response to that is twofold. Uh, First of all, why would they ask this question uh, um, immediately after uh, the feeding of the 5,000 when they already saw Jesus do that miracle? Uh, I think, first of all, um, they're, they're, they're in Gentile territory, so they might be wondering, is Jesus willing to, to, to do the same miracle for the Gentiles? That, mm-hmm. that might be behind mm-hmm. their thinking. But then also, uh, I had one uh, scholar who said, you know, this is a good example of we should never underestimate the ability of sinners to doubt. You know, and we see this, even though Jesus has done many miracles up to this point, we still have the disciples doubting and questioning. And and so so it's not surprising that they might wonder, you know, okay, even though Jesus did this miracle once, you know, can he do it again? You know, um, and, and so, yeah, you know, we see this throughout the Gospels. We're, we're, you're going to get to it in Matthew 16, where Peter ends up being a great disappointment. You know, and yeah, yeah. Uh, mm. God has to call them to repentance. So, so when we look at this, um, we we see that that Jesus shows, you know, he takes the initiative to show compassion, and he kind of sets up the the the, the 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 he sets the stage for the disciples to to uh, you know basically say uh, basically ask you know rhetorically, are you going to do this miracle again? And of course, he is. And, and and I mean that's that's a, a wonderful re- way for us to look at this. That not only okay, what does the text say, but for us to be able to and Pastor uh, Eckstein, you're always done so well at this, is pointing out what some of the skeptics might say, and for us not to say, well, that's just ridiculous. You know, we have a conservative view of the scriptures, but for us to actually break it down and say, okay, let's actually talk about why. This might be in here. Why, why would Matthew highlight this? And and it shows that common theme that we we see that would he do this among Gentiles? Would he do this again? And how short our memory might be, which is why I want to read verse 33. We have about a minute left before our break. Verse 33, and the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Now for us as I would say relatively um, skeptical as ones who know the whole story. Pastor, about a minute left. Why is that kind of ironic that the disciples are asking such a question? Well, again, earlier in the feeding of the uh, uh, 5,000, you know, they realized they only had a a few fish and and bread. And so it's ironic that they would ask, question when they just saw Jesus do, do the same miracle. And, um, you know, one, one possible difference here, too, is that, you know, w- earlier where it was possible for maybe the people to leave and, and go away and buy food, here it was more of a desolate place, so they were maybe in, in a little bit more of a conundrum, and Jesus was unwilling to send them away hungry. And that's where... Um... Well, we all have a short memory when it comes to trusting God to provide, that's for sure. So, Pastor, right now I want to talk more about this this reality of the compassion of Jesus and to break that down a little bit on the other side of our break. We are studying Matthew chapter 15 with Pastor Tom Eckstein, and we'll be right back.
These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. studying Matthew chapter 15 with Pastor Tom Eckstein from Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. Now, Pastor, there's a word that's used here that's used quite a bit throughout the Gospel of Matthew and all the Gospels, really. When Jesus says, I have compassion on the crowd, this is a, this is a very important word as we look at the, the ministry of Jesus. And Pastor, you have any thought, first thoughts on that word and what it means? Yeah, you know, the, the original Greek word, it actually talks about, uh, uh, you know, your innards, your, 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 your inner bowels, you know, constricting, you know, pain inside. And so it, it's a very earthy term. And, and the whole idea is that, you know, oh, I, I'm just aching. I, I, you know, I, I think you think of the phrase, oh, I feel your pain, you know. <laughs> yeah, but it, in yeah. this case, Jesus is, is really showing empathy. Uh, in the sense that he 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 not only cares about uh, the crowd's physical needs, but as we see as the gospel goes on, he's concerned about our ultimate need, you know, uh, to to uh, atone for our sin. And um, I, I think of other places where Jesus. I, I think of the time when Jesus said, where it says that Jesus had compassion on the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and there his compassion was the fact that, that they had no spiritual leadership, you know, and so Jesus provides uh, that for them by being uh, their good shepherd, uh, the God of Israel himself, who is uh, our shepherd. Uh, but but here, here, here we see that, that Jesus um, you know, actually uh, empathizes and, and cares about us, um, you know, and this is important because sometimes, especially when we go through difficulties, and, and trials in this life, we can maybe have this um, uh, uh, a false idea that God is sort of this indifferent being. You know, he's, he's aloof, and he really doesn't care about what we're going through. But, but here mm-hmm. we see that's not the case at all. Here we see that God's heart goes out to us. We even see this various times in the Old Testament where God is, God's heart is breaking, you know, over his people. And uh, we, we I, I, one other thought I had, too, is that, you know, uh, how the book of Jonah ends. And, of course, it, it results in, in the salvation of a Gentile uh, a city, Nineveh. And, and, and even at the end of Jonah, God's heart had compassion over these people. He was trying to tell Jonah, well, how, how could you not be you know, happy about the fact that they repent and are saved. You know, I, I have concern for them. I, I'm even concerned about their cattle, you know? And so here we see that yeah. we, uh, we have a God who really <laughs> does care about us. Now, that doesn't mean he always delivers us from our suffering, but it shows that, that he, he is not a loop. He's not oblivious to our trials. He even aches and hurts with us. And, and, and I like how you connected it to Jonah, because in our study uh, coming up in chapter 16, it talks about that you seek for a sign, but there's no sign that would be given except the sign of Jonah, 
which for us, I mean, we tried to make that just simplistic, but that also connects us to the compassion of our Lord um, that yeah. connects us. You know, I, I guess I wouldn't have, wouldn't have thought about Jonah and the compassion of our Lord because we usually just kind of, you know, looking at Jonah under the uh, under the <laughs> under, with the worm and the and everything else and his lament and everything. But, yeah, the compassion of our Lord for his people for spiritual, like you said, Matthew chapter nine, where. There were like sheep who were harassed and helpless, and that's why he sends workers out into the into the harvest. And also for us, as we look at this, that he's providing for their needs. What I like about this story, uh, true story about the feeding of the four thousand in the five thousand, it says that Jesus had compassion on them and healed their sick. And this is verse 14 of chapter 14. So this is Matthew telling the narrative. In this one, Jesus makes it obvious by saying, I have compassion. He says it out loud. So that in case yeah. anybody's wondering if our Lord Jesus has compassion on his people, it is actually from the mouth of our Lord, which I, I thought was a, a, a just an interesting distinction from the feeding of the 5,000. So, Pastor, anything else from uh, 32 and 33? Um, just a couple things, that, so I don't forget to mention them before we go on, yeah. is, um, uh, you know, even even though all the Gospels are unique and, and uh, each Gospel uh, has certain teachings that maybe other Gospels don't have, uh, the one thing that uh, uh, all four Gospels do have in common is the feeding of the 5,000. You know, mm-hmm. all four Gospels mention that. And then, of course, the feeding of the 4,000, you have Matthew and Mark that mention it, but, but Luke and John don't. And if people can maybe ask, well, why, why didn't Luke and John include it? Well, who knows? We'd have to ask them. I mean, they're, 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 like I said, there's things that Luke has that Matthew and Mark don't have and John don't have, and, and, and likewise. I've always thought, too, though, that, that Luke uh, maybe doesn't need to bring in the feeding of the 4,000 because Luke uh, has other ways of emphasizing the fact that God has come for the Gentiles, uh, especially when you think of Luke's genealogy going all the way back to Adam. You know, uh, God isn't a, just the God of the Jews; He's the God of the Gentiles of all people descending from Adam. Um, uh, but 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 in Matthew and Mark, uh, both of them were moved by the Spirit to use this real event to really drive home the point: uh, Jesus has come uh, to save all nations. Which, of course, if you know your Old Testament, that shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, like I said, already back in Genesis 12, God told Abraham, hey, you know, uh, your seed, the promised Savior, is going to be a blessing to all nations. And, and so we see this being fulfilled right before our very eyes right here. And so as we look at this... Um... One, it, it, one, and the thing that you're doing that really is helps us unpack this is to look at the distinctiveness of each account, look at the, the wider, broader scope of the gospels. And that's what's unique about the 5,000 is it's in each one of the gospels. So definitely perks our interest and shows us the importance of it. And also, Dr. Gibbs is very clear on this in his commentary, and also when we had him on the program to begin, is is let's make sure we let Matthew be Matthew, let Matthew be Matthew. It's kind of him and I had a personal conversation. Don't try to, like, compare or try to add or fill in the spaces. Let Matthew be Matthew, and you're doing that wonderfully today, too, where we see the difference of the stories and also we see how Matthew saw it and inspired by the Holy Spirit points us to the important reality. And I think this really comes true here, that what kind of king is Jesus? And we see it all throughout here. 
we have a compassionate king, a king yeah. that cares about both body and soul. And, and that's what really, I mean, it's really fun when you see it come together like that. And then from there, you see it grow in my mind when you look at the other gospels and just see the distinctiveness. And I know I can get caught up on, hmm, I wonder why Luke doesn't have it in there. And then you start digging in and then you're losing the point of a compassionate right. king who has compassion yeah. on you and I. Pastor, why is that important for us to always remember as we look at each of the gospels? Well, even though obviously uh, it, it can be helpful to to uh, look at other gospels and and uh, and see how they complement one another, I think uh, mm-hmm. that they, we 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 don't want to have the the liberal approach that each gospel has their own spin on a story that that really never happened, and that's just their own you know uh, mm-hmm. concoction. Uh, obviously, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—they're all writing about uh, true historical events, but each gospel has their own way of, of telling the story, and that's important to understand. Uh, especially uh, Matthew's gospel, you know, which um, you know many, many believe is, is is it's primarily written for a Jewish audience, but is written in such a way to help them understand what it really means to be Jewish, because obviously uh, God's people at that time had forgotten that. And, and, and uh, what it really means to be Jewish is, is to realize that, that, yes, we're God's chosen people, but chosen for what? Uh, chosen because we're, 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 we're better than other people and God only cares about us and not anyone else. No, all you have to do is look at the Old Testament. And of course, Matthew does a great job of this, showing how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. And 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 I've, you mentioned Jonah earlier. Uh, mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. you know Jesus could have quoted other Old Testament texts to let the Pharisees know that he was going to rise from the dead. Why Jonah? Uh, why yeah. use that yeah, as, as a sign? <laughs> and I, even though he doesn't uh, um, uh, uh, explicitly say this. You know, Jonah is one of those Old Testament books where God is showing his compassion for the Gentiles. And and so it's like not only does Jonah have the symbolism of, of you know, Jonah in a belly of a whale and coming back to life, just like Jesus will die and come back to life. But you also have God using Jonah to bring salvation to the people of the likes of Nineveh, uh, a reminder to the Jews that, hey, you were meant to be a light to the nations. You were meant to be the instrument through whom salvation comes into the world. Or or as it says in John's Gospel when he's visiting with the woman at the well, you know, salvation comes from the Jews. And so uh, the, 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 the fact that the Jews were God's chosen people was never meant to be, well, God loves us and no one else. No, but we were his instrument to be uh, uh, bring God's saving message to the whole world. So, Pastor, let's continue to move forward. We're at verse 34 through 36, we'll read. And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Once again, sounds familiar. They said seven and a few small fish and directing the crowd to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fish and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. I want to stop there, not that we don't know the rest of the story, but just to make sure we're all on the same page. Very similar to previous story that we hear in chapter 14. How would you how would you compare but also see the distinctiveness of what we hear in, in Matthew 15? Well, what we have in common, obviously, is that there's only a few bits of food that even couldn't come close to feeding the, the multitude. So obviously, a miracle needs to happen, and Jesus does that. But then, 
then uh, as far as a difference, you, you do have this interesting emphasis on the number seven in this account. Uh, not mm. only do you have seven loaves, but then afterwards you have seven baskets. Now, uh, we have to be a little careful because, you know, unlike the parable of the soils where Jesus actually gives an interpretation, you know, here, we're, we're, you know, uh, Jesus doesn't just spell out, this is what this means. Um, but I find it intriguing, you know, because even later on in, in Matthew 16, Jesus will, 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 will allude to the fact that, hey, don't you remember there were 12 baskets after the feeding of the 5,000 and seven baskets after the uh, feeding of the 4,000? And, and so not only do you get these different numbers, but it's interesting, um, and uh, I don't know if you talked about this earlier when you had the feeding of the 5,000, but uh, the Greek word for basket in uh, the mm. feeding of the 5,000 is, is a word that refers to baskets that were used by the Jews to carry kosher food, where here it's a different word entirely. It's not the same type of basket. Another indicator that we're maybe in Gentile territory here. And so, um, uh, but, but, but the number seven here, you know, uh, uh, obviously when we have the 12 baskets, it's like that's a slam dunk. Oh, yeah, the 12 tribes of Israel, you know. Uh, but here we have the number seven, which in, in Jewish thinking was a number of completion and fulfillment. So, you know, uh, even though we have to be careful that we don't read more into it than Scripture allows, I can't help but think that the number seven here is God's way of saying, hey, you know, the feeding of the 5,000 was a reminder that I'm concerned about my people, the, the, the children of Israel. But now the number seven shows that, that I'm, I'm bringing the purpose of Israel to fulfillment, and that is that they're a light to the nations, that through them, salvation comes to everybody. And so we see this, the numbers, yeah, they're, they're important. The basket dynamic, we did not talk about that in uh, the feeding of the 5,000. So that... We probably could have a whole study on that alone, um, and I'll let you address that if you have more to say. And he, one one aspect that uh, Pastor Bob Hiller brought up is directing the crowd to sit on the ground. In, in chapter 14, it says to sit on the grass. And this is where, uh, you know, it brings us back to the Psalm, Psalm 23. You know, it makes me lie down um, in green pastures. So it's not a sit down. You guys aren't listening. It's more of an invitation of you know uh, of peace. You know I'm yes. going to take care of you now, which I thought was a great connection. Even though it doesn't say grass on this one, definitely the same feeling um, of our Lord having us rest. You know, come to me, all who are weary and heaven laden, and and He takes the seven loaves and the fish, and they just start giving out the food. The question I've always had in both accounts is the people, did they know that there was very little food and the food just kept coming? Or did they just kind of like enjoy it because it's there? We don't know. Like you said, we have to stick with what the right. text says. But it is this fascinating dynamic, um, much like the, the changing water to wine in John chapter 2, that God just provides. And that makes me think about my life, where often I just have some things in my life that I just think, oh, they're just, just there, while I forget that God is the one who provides them for me. So uh, any reflections on that and how God provides, as we see in the text here and in our own lives, and why it's important that we see it from the hand of God? Yeah, well, you know, obviously, even though this was a miracle, uh, uh, and, I, and I, again, I... I, I 
I, I can't help but laugh at the liberal attempt to, to deny the miracle. You know, I remember reading one commentary, and they said, well, what Jesus actually did here was he, he convinced the people to share their lunch with each other. You know, apparently they all had brought a bag lunch with, and, 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 and then when they all decided to share their lunch, you know, there was enough food. Yeah, yeah, I already got right. Okay. And the problem I have with that is, you know, in John's Gospel, you know, these people are running after Jesus for more food. Well, why would they do that if they already had food to begin with and all Jesus did was teach them to share? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And and, and then why should they be astonished? You know, it's like, okay, well, we already had food to begin with. You know, yeah, it, the, the lengths that people will go to to deny the fact that, that this is this is the God who can heal the sick and the blind and the deaf and, and still will see and, and raise somebody from the dead. And yes, he can. He can multiply food to feed, uh, you know, numerous people. And, and uh, what illusion, even though, again, it, it's not specifically explicitly mentioned here, uh, you can't help but notice the fact that this is an illusion, and you get this even more in John's Gospel. But there's an illusion here in Matthew, you, uh, especially if you know the Old Testament, you can't help but think of how God provided manna and quail uh, in the wilderness. Yeah. You know, mirac- miraculously. I mean, obviously, God's people are out in the desert. Uh, they don't have <laughs> access to food, and God provides them with bread miraculously. He provides them with quail miraculously. And so when you're reading this here, uh, the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000, you can't help but think, here's the God of Israel, the same God who fed his children in the wilderness uh, after they left Egypt. He, he's doing it again here. And so we, we get this connection between Old and New Testament. Matthew's very good at that. And the same question arises for those who knew all they had was seven loaves and a few small fish. The same question arises as it did in Exodus 16, when where did this bread come from? You know, And so you can't help but think that the people who were there who knew the Old Testament would have been thinking, this seems familiar. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this absolutely. is a similar situation that I've heard before, which I believe, you know, which I know from personal experience and from people in the church that there's, I mean, there's times in church where you read a story and you go, hmm, I've heard this before. What is that yeah. connection? And you can't help but the Holy Spirit was working in even the Gentiles to say, wow, there's something familiar to this, no doubt. And I want to make this connection, Pastor, before we move on, is it's, and then the connection moves us forward. Um, for the people to Matthew 26, where it says yeah. uh, he took the seven loaves and had given thanks. He broke them and gave it to the disciples. What does that connect us to later on in Matthew? Well, obviously, again, even though it's not explicitly mentioned right. here, uh, you, you can't help but but uh, not only does this point back uh, to the, the manna, uh, and, and the quail in the Old Testament. But it, it, this also reminds us that uh, even though Jesus is compassionate about our physical needs, he's come to give us the true bread from heaven, which is himself. And of course, you, you get this in its own unique way in John chapter 6, where Jesus not only says, I'm the true bread from heaven, but he even talks about how I will give you my body and blood to eat and drink. Well, uh, what do we have in Matthew? Matthew comes at it in his own unique way. Uh, here we have Jesus giving us, you know, food uh, for for uh, our physical needs, but 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 you have the thanksgiving language and the breaking of bread. Well, we see that fulfilled in an even higher way in the Lord's Supper, where Jesus use, er, uses earthly bread and earthly wine to, to give us the ultimate food that we need: His body and blood. Uh, given and shed for us. So it, it's a reminder to us that the same God who cares about our physical need 
like we get in, in the very first chapter of Matthew, he came to save his people from their sins. Well, what do we get in the Lord's Supper? Uh, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. It's, it's a real awesome connection here. And that's where, I mean, the exact words from Matthew 26, I'm going to find them here, is, you know, take, eat, this is my body, Matthew 26, verse 27, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. And that, that just, like, you connected that so beautifully, and in our our hymnal, the the blessing that is dismissing the communicants. So when, when, when people come to receive the body and blood of Christ, in the hymnal, it says these words for us to give a blessing. That the bot, the bot may, I always say may thee, but the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ strengthen, preserve you in body and soul to life everlasting, depart in peace. So that once again shows us a connection of feeding the 4,000, feeding uh, the, the, the Lord's Supper, and extends us to today that we are connected to this story when we receive that body and blood because it is for body and soul. I mean, I, I, the connections are everywhere. I mean, think about this. Next time you take communion, yeah. think about the four, feeding of the 4,000, how the Lord provides for you and me. Last thoughts before yeah. we finish out our text, Pastor. Well, one last thing. You know, uh, people often think, well, boy, wouldn't it be nice if God did miracles like this today? And, you know, I wouldn't have to go to the grocery store. But we, <laughs> we, forget, we forget that even the food we eat now is here because God continues to provide for us. You know, uh, we, we forget uh, all you need is, is a drought. And we had that uh, uh, recently in North Dakota. Um, and, and all you need is a famine. And you quickly realize that unless God mercifully provides rain and, and sunshine, you know, uh, uh, we don't have food. And even the food we have, I, I, I tell this to my young kids to help them understand, you know, why we pray at meals because all our food comes from God. I said, you know, the, the, the grain that we use to bake bread, you know, it comes from seeds that comes from prior crops that comes from seeds that comes from prior crops all the way back to creation when God made the seed bearing plant. Uh, we wouldn't have any plants today if God hadn't created them in the beginning. And so everything we have is here because of God's miracle of creation. And I think this feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,002 reminds us that, hey, uh, here, here is G the God of Israel in human flesh who created uh, all, all the food in the beginning in the first place. And here he continues to provide for us. Well, let's finish out our text, verses 37 through 39, and, and you know, bring it all back together. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men beside women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Megadon. So, so Pastor, I think verse 37 tells us, I mean, it really almost brings it all together wonderfully, is they all ate and were satisfied. What does that tell us about, about well, this feeding? Well, here's an example of where God doesn't skimp on his blessings. It wasn't just that, you know, they had a little snack to get them by. No, they, they, they ate to their fill. You know, they, they, they were satisfied. There was no hunger. And so uh, God not only provides, but he provides abundantly. And um, 
And uh, obviously, at times in this world, there's times that God allows us to go without and, and, and face trial. But I can't help but think again, and again, John has its own, his own unique way of dealing with this. But I think of Jesus' words in John 6, where those who believe in me will never hunger. They will never yeah. thirst. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, you know, one day after the resurrection, you know, when we're, when we're finally delivered from this sinful world, you know, as you know, Scripture teaches we'll be physical beings in the physical new creation. Um, there will be no more hunger. Uh, not only will God provide us for us spiritually, obviously, but, but even meet our physical needs uh, in the new creation. And so, so God's provision uh, is always complete. So, and also I was thinking about this, that if there's food left over, unless you're a very disciplined person, which I am not, if you like, if I feed my, if at our dinner, at our home, you know, we have three kids now that live at home, we have four total. And, and when, when we're all home, um, if there's leftovers, it means that everyone ate too much or mom and dad, you know, put it, put it into a container and hid it from everybody else so that we would have leftovers for the next time. So to show that they had to pick up the pieces after everything was done shows that people had more than enough. I mean, this oh, is, you absolutely. know, there's seven baskets full. And then also, I, I, I love the connection that I've heard recently is, you know, the Canaanite woman says, well, yeah, even the dogs receive, you know, the crumbs that fall from their master's table, which is not just like I get a little bit, but it's that overflowing abundance of grace that our Lord gives and provides that it overflows that even the dogs are satisfied, which is the worst of sinners, you and I. So that that th- those connections are, you know, God gives more than enough for us. And it's an abundance that keeps flowing upon his people. Pastor, anything else in these last few verses you want to highlight? I guess uh, just to end by saying uh, the same Lord who had compassion on these people, you know, those who are listening, he has compassion on you. Not, not only does he care about your physical needs and will provide for you as he sees best, but he, he has provided for your greatest need. Uh, uh, as we will see later in Matthew, uh, Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, he, 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 he loved you enough that he went to the cross for you. So we, we have a God who loves us more than we can comprehend. Pastor, we have about a minute and a half left in our time. And so as we look at these stories, what encouragement, what more encouragement, you just gave us encouragement, what more encouragement, how would you want to summarize our time today? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, we're we're going to go on now. I, I don't want to steal thunder from these future uh uh, uh, Please do. Go have. ahead. <laughs> but uh, we're, we're going on into to Matthew uh, 16, and um, uh, there we see that even though Jesus is concerned about our physical needs, uh, and I will whet people's appetite for, for tomorrow, uh, even though Jesus is concerned about our physical needs, he, he goes on to show that, that we also need to be fed by the pure teaching of God's Word, because in, in verses of uh, you know, in the first part of Matthew 16, there's this warning about the, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you know, and, and, and uh, warning that, 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 that you know, you, you don't uh, uh, eat of their poison and, and, and instead receive uh, uh, God's pure teaching. Now, I think of the verse, uh, then finally they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So here we see that Jesus' compassion now goes on to extend to, hey, I not only care about your physical needs, but I especially care that, that you hear the truth and are protected from the lies of the evil one.
Pastor Tom Eckstein of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota, giving us God's strong word from Matthew chapter 15. Pastor Eckstein, thank you for bringing us his gifts. My privilege. Thank you. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand. <laughs>